All right, what is going on, guys? It is time for another episode of the Chasing Waypoints podcast. And well, we are starting this new series, and you guys know about it. We talked a little bit about it on the last episode, episode 127. Uh, so now we're on 128, and we have got our first guest lined up for the show. It all started with a conversation. Somebody tagged me and said, it's actually uh, Nathan from Countershocks, and said, hey, you know what? Victor's got a platform, the Chasing Waypoints podcast, and let's help get motos back to Baja. And I, you know, I enjoy riding Baja, so let's talk a little bit about it. And this is going to be really cool. I've already lined up a bunch of new guests, and I'm absolutely looking forward to it. So this is the Back to Baja series. And we're going to be talking to none other than Seth Barnes this time around. Let me get uh, let me get the link going. But basically, I published a, a post in the uh, Pro Moto Racing or Pro Moto Baja Facebook group and said, you know what? Let's get uh, let's get some guests on the show. This is what I'm thinking. What do you guys think? And then uh, Seth Barnes reached out and they uh, tagged him and said, hey, you know what? He's got uh, he's got a few uh, few adventures. Uh, we were talking a little bit. He did mention a little bit about his team. I'm going to let him explain that part of it to you guys. And let me uh, send the link over to him here. And we'll do that one. And then let him know it is a audio only. And let's see if this works for him. But yeah, so you guys heard a little bit about what the race series is. You know that the Baja 400 is the one that's coming up next for these guys. We'll talk a little bit about it with Seth and see if that's something that they're going to be doing again, just like if you, this is the first time you're tuning in to the episodes with chasing waypoints. I do not prep conversations. I do not edit the interviews. It's just raw. The number one compliment. And I will take this and I will stop the show before this changes. But I love the garage feel of this. So if you guys haven't heard any of the episodes before, I strongly recommend uh, going back, check out the episode with Mo Hart, the basically the recap of his Dakar experience. It is a long episode, so grab your favorite beverage, grab your favorite snacks and tune in and listen to that one. It is absolutely insane to hear uh, a sportsman, sportsman rookie uh, going to the Dakar and hearing their adventures. And so I am I was absolutely stoked. Still, I can't believe it in a three-year history of the Chasing Waypoints podcast. It is the third most played episode, which is absolutely insane across 100 countries. And they're listening to to us. So waiting on, uh, let's see if we can get uh, Seth on here in just a second, waiting for him to pop up. And then we will switch channels to that one. All right. I think we got him on the line. Let's see here. We're on. Seth, you there? Yeah, man. Can you hear me? Yeah, loud and clear. Perfect. Good deal. That's always the thing. I I don't usually like pre-run the episodes, so the audio quality sometimes on the other end is kind of like, eh, but you're perfect. Good. Coming in good. good. Okay. So right to it. Oh, that was kind of an abrupt end of the music, but oh, well. There Uh, we go. We're, We're in. Yeah, I know, right? And live. So, all right. This whole series right that we're talking is basically is back to Baja for me that was my origins before I started the chasing waypoints podcast was riding motos in Baja racing in Baja and then I went the rally route and then I decided to hey let's talk a little bit more about Baja my first thing is is how did you guys even decide to go to Baja 
what, what, tell me, give me a little bit of background on your team and what you guys. Yep. You there? Uh Oh, we lost him. All right. Let's give him another link here in just a second. But basically that's what we're trying to do is, is just figure out, uh, let me see. We're going to have to go back. Like, I want to know, just like on the Chasing Waypoints podcast episodes, if you guys have heard a lot of the stuff is like, okay, how did you guys get into rally? What was the main thing? And, and what even inspired you to, to, you know, pick up your first road book, do that thing and, and, and even get into this, you know, oh. please hold All right, so it has been a little bit of a challenge getting uh, getting the logistics. I don't know what is going on. They've updated the apps. They did all sorts of stuff, and I got a feeling that there's some issues here. But let's see if we can get uh, Seth on the phone. Ringing now. Hey. All right, there we go. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know what, what's happening. I have this feeling that whatever update they did is like, yeah, they're not playing nice with each other. So we'll leave them be for the time being. We'll just go back old school and go to the phone call. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that works. Okay. So team owner main. Uh... Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, Softleet, uh, they were on board. So Softleet stands for, stands for uh, special operations forces athlete. Um, and they're a, you know, a fitness company for military and first responders, and basically, you know, what they kind of stand for is what a lot of this desert racing stands for. So it's, you know, it's endurance. It requires um, tenacity. It requires uh, resilience. And so, you know, bringing military veterans into this um, racing world, this hard racing world uh, was, you know, what they thought was, would be a good idea. And it, and it has been so far. But so they did Vegas Torino last year. Um, and the goal for this year was to try to do all of best in the desert and then, you know, almost like a three-year plan where we would do best in the desert series and maybe some other desert series. And then we'd move to Baja and then we'd even move into rally. So doing the Sonora rally, just kind of a stepping stone that way. I'm mm-hmm. um, kind of going, you know, crawl, walk, run, you could say. Mm-hmm. Um, and then so with best in the desert, having the issues that they were having this year, we we even made a trip all the way out to California from, from North Carolina, where we are here mm-hmm. um, to do Cal state Two Fifty. You know, we get there the next morning, we get the news that, um, you know, that race was canceled. So we know we're kind of adjusting fire. We've got some good sponsors on board. And we're saying, you know, what could we do? What, what else could we do for the rest of the year? The year's almost, you know, gone through. Mm-hmm. What, what do we got? Um, and it's really, you know, let's just move ahead with, with our goal to do Baja. And so it was April, you know, a little bit last minute, but, um, you know, we made the decision to do the Baja 500 and then, you know, we'll be going to do the Baja 1000 as well. So we kind of moved switch gears into what do we have to do to get to Baja? And so for me, I'm a, I'm a networking guy. I like to utilize the resources that are out there. I don't like to reinvent the wheel. So I started just reaching out to people who have been down to Baja before and had some really good, um, connections and, you know, with, even with the, some of the trophy truck guys and McMillan racing team, just to help out with logistics and figuring out how do we do this thing that we've never done before. <laughs> and, you know, with, with all of the help that we got, you know, it, it's started to look like such a far, um, you know, reach idea getting, 
you know, a whole group of guys that have never been down to Baja before down there. And then as time went on, you know, just pieces kept lining up and we were able to, to uh, make it happen. Nice. Well, that's good. I mean, so you've already, like you said, you know, as a, as a networking guy and, and, and using and moving pieces on the puzzle and then trying to get everything lined up. Was there one of those pieces that was like the most daunting or, or one of the most difficult ones? Uh, um, I, I think the hard part is just trying to visualize how everything is down there. You know, it's, it is, it's uh, the racing down there is a whole lot different than a lot of the races up here. And so, um, you know, my background initially isn't even in desert before I joined the Marine Corps. I, I rode, you know, motocross and then I rode, uh, like woods, hair scrambles, stuff like that. And then later in life I got more into desert, but it's just a whole different picture down there. So it was really trying to just visualize how everything's going to work out. And then also, you know, taking that from, from one person's perspective. So, you know, I'm doing the organizing and then expressing that to everyone else who's going down there, who hasn't been down there. So, you know, whether it's, um, you know, chase, how chase is going to work out, um, you know, stuff like that. It's just, yeah. I mean, not just one piece, a whole lot of pieces and then just learning all of that stuff. Yeah. And this was, I mean, first time literally like, Rip and Baja, like never ridden recreationally, never been down there for anything else. Never been down. I, this is my first time even going to Mexico. So, <laughs> oh, damn. Yeah. So, you know, I lived, I lived for a while in Yuma, Arizona, and then I lived for quite a few years in San Diego area, but being active duty military during all of those times, I was never able to go down to Mexico. So, um, you know, I've, I've ridden the desert around there, but this is my first time down there. Actually down there. And from what you thought, like, I, you know, I think that, so the goal with the whole series, right, is, is getting people, you know, sharing stories like this, right? There's a lot of people, I meet a lot of people that are like, I don't ride in Baja and I've never been down there. I've never raced in Baja. I've never done anything down there. And they have, it's like, how can I explain to them, you know, in a way that's, that's relatable, right? Like they're like, well, yeah, well you go down there. So it's not that big a deal for you, but for you never been down there. What was the, was there like a, like the culture shock? Was it everything? Was it what you had man- uh, imagined or was it just completely different? Um, in some ways it was what I, I imagined and in other ways it was completely different. Um, I think the culture, it, it was a whole lot more welcoming, not only the culture within, you know, the, the country and the area, the Baja area. So the people that live down there, but also the culture in the racing down there. Um, so, you know, everybody was so warm, welcoming, and even from, from a lot of the locals down there to also, you know, the race teams and the racers, whether they're on a bike or they're on a trophy truck or whatever, it's, it's almost a whole lot more like a family down there than a lot of the racing is up here. I think. Interesting. So walking around the pits, everybody's there helping each other versus everybody's got poker face and, you know, they're like, yeah, kind of standoffish when you you come around. Interesting. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, that's uh, with your riding experience, right? Motocross and and woods racing and and riding down in Baja now. What kind of prepared you for for that? Which discipline? Um, I mean, or all of it. Yeah. So, you know, and looking at the whole team, a lot of our riders come from a lot of different backgrounds. Um, so, you know, my, my background, you know, I've been riding for a long time, but you know, I kind of, I kind of did the stepping stone. So I, you know, raced motocross at a young age, moved into hair scrambles, GNCCs on the East coast, 
and came out west and started getting into the endurance racing. I did, you know, 24 hours of Glen Helen, Ironman, and a lot of just, you know, the desert racing out there. And I think, you know, what kind of prepared me for it is just having a well-rounded, uh, you know, riding skill library, mm-hmm. you could say. Because down in Baja, you have everything from, you know, I was doing one part of my section. I was doing creek crossings to to whoops to uh, rocky you know, sections like the summit down for the Baja 500 this time. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just, it was everything, you know, so not, you know, it's, it's great to, you know, be able to go fast through the desert and everything. And, and that's where I think that from the outside looking in, you see a lot of the, the hero shots of the guys just blasting the whoops or just going really fast. But there is a lot of really technical stuff there as well. The summit this year was you know, big basketball sized boulders for miles and miles and miles. So yeah. it, it requires a really well-rounded type of rider to go down there. Yeah. That was the, uh, where you, where you wish maybe a little bit more time or getting some time on a, uh, on a trials bike. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> if you have that background, you, that could help you, especially in that summit section in that summit. So, Okay, so Baja 500, I mean, it's iconic, right? Everybody knows, well, everybody knows the Baja 1000. Baja 1000 yeah. is a bucket list item for, for many people. Uh, Baja 500, obviously, is, is the warm-up for that, and you get to see some of the sites. What sections did you write? Like, what was your, what was your section uh, or yeah, sections so, at the 500? Yeah, so I rode um, from Race Mile 70, so like around K77 area. <laughs> Uh, race mile 70 all the oh. way to Valley T. Okay. Ojos Negros to Valley T. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, and then, so we rode sportsmen. So we got to do the sportsman shortcut. Thank God. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, by that time I was pretty spent, but yeah. So yeah, from race mile 70, Ojos Negros area, all the way over to Valley T is the section that I rode. Okay. That is, uh, I, I'm a little familiar with the section, uh, if, if they still run it the same way, it's been a few years since I've been through, but I know in Ojos, you get the big rolling Hills, you get the crowds of people and, and, and yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure you notice that the crowds of people are usually denser where the jumps are bigger. Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, was, I know, is there still some silt beds in the back? Did they go through all that? There's some silt beds and then you got to make these hill climbs just to get out towards, uh, heading towards the Valley T section. Yeah, so a lot of the silt beds were really kind of after the summit, uh, you know, in between that summit area to race mile 170 was mm-hmm. a lot of the silty stuff. Mm-hmm. There's a little bit of it um, on your way to Valley T, but not a ton. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I would say yeah, really from the summit uh, to about 170, which is like, um, uh, what's it called? La Ventana? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, north yeah. of San Felipe and so, the curve. Yeah. I, I've yep. heard I've heard horror stories, and I mean a lot of people that follow the racing saw the 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 posts of the uh, of the summit, and mm-hmm. and I guess there was even some controversy there as far as like you know the cars running it and and yeah. you know to, but you guys weren't given that option no or I mean on a moto I don't I mean yeah it's bad but not as bad as it is in a truck that's you know six feet wide and <laughs> yeah yeah and I think that's kind of what what at least, you know, saved us in some ways from getting passed by a ton of the trophy trucks was that summit section. I know McMillan, the McMillan racing team, they, they had some issues, uh, mechanical issues right there, that summit. And I think a lot of people did too, just because it was, it was rough. I mean, on a dirt bike, you can kind of like pinpoint where you want to go, but I, I could see on, you know, these bigger vehicles, like you're kind of limited to, you know, if something big is in the way, you've got to just go over it. You can't really go around it. Yeah. It, yeah. You have, uh, with a six foot wide 
you know, or I, I don't even know what their wheelbase or uh, track width is, but yeah. yeah, you, you have an infinite amount of lines that you can, yeah. that you can do and, and you can literally pivot, turn the bike if you needed to. So, mm-hmm. and that was definitely happening out there for sure. <laughs> it was, uh, as I, as I, so I, you know, I pre-ran the course throughout the week and, um, I, I, the first time I came up on the summit, I'm like, what, what is this? Like Erzberg? You know, I'm like, <laughs> I'm like I just came from like flowing whoops and, you know, just desert to like massive boulders. So yeah, this, yeah, this, is, right now. this is what, what would pole Torres do on a, uh, <laughs> exactly. On a 450. Yeah. Uh, speaking of pole, I see your pictures. You're, you're on a Yamaha. What, what was the weapon of choice for Baja? What did you guys race? Yeah, so we raced a uh, uh, YZ450 FX. We have a 2023, mm-hmm. um, which initially, so you know, you look at what what a lot of guys run down at Baja, and it's a lot of the KTM variants, and it's Hondas. Mm-hmm. Um, but this year, when we were down there, and you know, kind of, I was looking at the past, like, okay, how are Yamahas represented down there? And in the past, they haven't really been represented too much, but this year, there were a lot of them down there. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think one of the things that stops that is the tank capacity. So, you know, we're running a 2.8 gallon tank, but thankfully you've got Baja pits, you know, nearly every 40 miles down there. So we never really had an issue with fuel, but, um, I think a lot of people are realizing the bot or the, uh, the Yamaha and, you know, how rock solid of a tank that motor is. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we saw a lot of them down there at the 500. And, and it's interesting. So one of the guys uh, that I work with is, you know, does the the Glen Helen. He does the hair scrambles, the GP stuff over here on the West Coast. Uh, actually, he's going to be doing the night race tonight. Today's Saturday, right? Yeah, tonight. Yeah. And it, we were talking about that. And, you know, it's like, what bike would you have in the garage? And he has been talking about the FX, but he's looking at the 250. He wants something smaller because it's a little more technical what they do. Yeah. What did you guys do? I mean, it's a, a brand new bike, right? 23, 450 yes. FX. How do you prep a bike like that? What, what, what did you guys do? Was there anything special mods? I mean, what, how do you build a bike? Yeah, so uh, special things. Um, so I got a lot of help from Trevor Hunter. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, you know, he's super knowledgeable on this platform. He, that was one of the reasons why we were like, you know, it's a no brainer. Cause he, he did the whole Glen Helen endurance series on them without even touching the motor. So like the motor's rock solid. Um, some of the things that we did, we took and we took the WR stator and flywheel. Mm-hmm. We put that into the motor just because we're running lights we're running Stella we're running, you know, we're powering things that the FX isn't really designed to power. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one of the things we did and really just kind of bulletproof in the bike. You know, we, we adjusted suspension to suit us for, for Baja as well, but you know, safety wiring things we changed gearing a little bit too so we went up in the front sprocket just to give us you know a little bit wider wider range on gearing but a lot of it was really just kind of the general bulletproofing of a bike to ensure that it's going to last this whole race yeah um but as far as motor goes we didn't we didn't touch the motor at all it was it was perfect yeah and that has been i mean well, the Hondas for a long time, I don't know, the newer generation seems to be better, but it seems like Hondas for a long time had transmission issues uh, mm-hmm. with them in the five speed. And then, and, and I agree with you, you did, you really didn't see, I mean, especially like the Cowies, you wouldn't see, you still don't see Suzuki, you still don't see down there. And Yamaha is like the only other outside of the Austrian, uh, Austrian brands that you do see down there. But like you said, not, not that many of them. So, yeah. so I find it, you know, it's, it's interesting to me to find out because 
they, I, I agree with you. They are a reliable pro- platform. Um, I, I even think that in the future that might be something for, I have Austrian stuff now, but if I was going to go to something, I think I would be, you know, headed to the Yamaha crowd for the same yeah. reason. It just seems like everything's just kind of bulletproof. Yeah. Yeah. They've got it dialed in. And, and when we were in tech, I was surprised to see how many were down there just cause just you hear things and, um, you know, especially with tank capacity, that was, that was probably my biggest worry. You know, I was, I was able to, I did a, quite a few tests where I, I ran the bike down, um, you know, we, we would get like 70 miles. Um, but with, thankfully with, with Baja pits there, you know, about every 40 miles fuel was not an issue at all. Yeah. That's so that's an interesting one. So 2.8 gallons, you would clear it out in, in about 70 miles to where you were comfortable. Obviously, it wasn't yeah. bone dry, but it was <laughs> exactly you're, you're not going to go much further. <laughs> yeah. And there's there's this like small portion um, that's kind of around the shock of the tank, because the way that Yamaha tank fits in there, it's really weird. You got to like take the subframe off to even get it into place. And um, so there's this small portion right by the shock and there's actually a gas light on the Yamaha. And so when the gas dips down to that small portion is when the gas light comes on. Mm-hmm. And that's when I would usually be like, okay, that's where the comfortability kind of ends. Yeah. Like, you know, you can get a few more miles once you reach this point, but, um, and then in testing too, you know, I, I did, you know, everything from just really wide open riding mm-hmm. all the way to just, you know, technical stuff. And that, that seemed around be around the place where 60 to 70 miles was like the comfort zone on that bike. Gotcha. Okay. I mean, that's still, like you said, I mean, with Baja pits being there, I mean, that definitely, uh, it, it helps, you know, <laughs> cover <Yeah>. it, <laughs> you know, and I guess there's, uh, there's something to be said, right. I mean, about having, you know, okay, cool. If you had four gallon capacity, now you're riding a four gallon, you know, what is that? Four, seven, 28 pounds of gas. Yeah. Yeah. Sloshing so, around. Yeah. I, I can't imagine that's easy. And, and meanwhile, I'm, I'm. I'm a big bike tinkerer, so I love, you know, messing with things. And I'm, I'm already on the website for Safari tanks going, doesn't Safari make something oh, bigger? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was I was down that rabbit hole, too. <laughs> I mean, they make rear tanks. I don't know if the rear tank will work, but. Yeah. Yeah, so I think, you know, as um, so that you've got the new bike out for 2023 in mm-hmm. the F. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as time goes on, that new bike will transition over to the FX as well. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of companies, as more guys are riding these Yamahas, I think a lot of the companies, like I've talked with some of the guys over at IMS. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, once that need arises, there's going to be companies that are developing uh, bigger tanks. And I know even for some of the older, not older, but, you know, maybe around 2018 Mm -hmm. WRs, Mm -hmm. they do have a, a, a lot bigger tank option. So I think that, you know, these companies that are designing the tanks, I think they're going to get creative over the next year or two to make a better solution yeah yeah i'm seeing uh uh for the 2019 a 12 and a half liter and then i see yeah for the 18 the previous gen yeah they do have 15 and a half Mm -hmm. but then i guess you know then then at that point it becomes like okay well how much of this do i really want to like do i really want to be topping it off do i really want to be carrying all that extra fuel yeah you know it, it, it becomes a does it help you or does it actually hurt you in the end yeah, no, that's a, that's a really good point. And I think, yeah, like you brought up with, with so many Baja pits around there, if you were pitting for yourself, it'd be another thing, but with, you know, that resource that is Baja pits, um, you know, they're, they're all over the place and that makes it. So it's like, you know, you have the two point out 
2.8 gallon tank, but that could be the right tool for the job when you have so many pits. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I guess, and man, these guys are, uh, see, everybody's on them. I hadn't been on their website in a while, but it looks like they also have stuff for the, uh, for the 790. So, okay. So let's talk next race. What, uh, so Baja 1000 or you guys got something in between? Yeah. So we're doing a few things in between. We're going to be doing Vegas Torino, uh, in August. Mm-hmm. And then it's pending a little bit right now, but we're thinking about doing the 24 hours of Glen Helen, um, just to kind of get the team together right before the 1000, get the bike, you know, everybody comfortable on the bike and just kind of get us all working together. Right. Just before we go down there, mm-hmm. uh, for the 1000, but that'll really be it between now and the 1000. Okay. So 24 hours, what, I mean, I think 24 hours is, is probably the best Vegas to Reno, I would think is, is a really good shakedown. Uh, but I also think the 24 hours, just the sheer, like the length of it, you know, even though it's the same track or whatever it is from day to night. Uh, I, I think the bikes still finish Vegas to Reno during the day. They do. Yeah. Most yeah. of the time. So there would be good, probably like heat, you know, and, and mm-hmm. heat management, uh, and 24 hours of Glen Helen is just literally proof of concept for the bike, the motor, everything, you know, working as, as planned. Yep. <clears throat> you- yeah. Just getting every, everybody. Yeah. Just kind of meshing well together again. And, uh, you know, after the, especially the break of, you know, from the 500 to the thousand. And how do you guys, um, I mean, so this year's thousand is going to be a bit unique, right? Starting down at the bottom of the peninsula and then basically yeah. racing home. Um, has, have you guys already talked about, you know, uh, how pre-running is going to go or what sections maybe, or, or, you know, is there some logistic stuff that you guys have already started on? Yeah, a little bit. So, um, one really cool thing, Andy Kirker released that, um, for sign up and, and tech and everything, you'd be able to have notarized waivers. So really like one or two people can kind of go through that whole process down at the bottom, down at the start. Mm-hmm. Um, which really helps out. So then you don't have to lug everybody all the way down there and then, you know, do that piece. So how we're kind of thinking about it. And as time passes, we're going to, you know, we've, we've gotten word from McMillan that we can kind of, you know, uh, work into their logistics plan a little bit. Um, but I think how we're going to do it is we're going to space out kind of small little pockets of people throughout the race course. Mm Mm-hmm. And so those, you know, pockets of riders and chase, they'll pre-run their sections in their area. Maybe they're staying in an Airbnb or something throughout the the peninsula. Mm-hmm. And then um, on race day, it'll kind of just be like a repeat of, of how pre-run, pre-run goes for them. And then we'll all make our way back up to Ensenada um, as the race goes on. Yeah. And so, so that's loose, loose for now. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's until the map is released, then you really get an idea. Uh, yeah. of, of how it's going to go and team of three, or are you guys bringing an extra body on board for that? So we're, yeah, we're definitely bringing another body on board. Um, we had, we have five riders on the team right now, which is really good. Um, but for the 500, we had three and, you know, some of our guys, one of our guys, he's still active duty military. And so he couldn't get the paperwork done in time to be able to get down there. Mm-hmm. And then another of our riders, he actually hurt his shoulder. So, by the 1,000, we should have a good five riders who are able and, and ready to go Nice on this thing. But, yeah, we're going to try to bring as many people down as we can because um, even throughout the 500, if we would have had an additional rider, I think we could have done a little bit better. Um, and, you know, we wouldn't have 
you know, taxed each individual rider so much in their section. Yeah. And so you guys, that's always something. So I've had, and I've, I've had some long conversations with, uh, with Colton Udall and, and he loves the long stint. Like you put him on a bike for hours on end. What, you know, what about you guys? I mean, are you, do you prefer to do like a shorter 40, 50, 70 mile loop, like basically run the bike out of gas and then switch off or how do you like to work that? Yeah. So for the 500, it would have been a little bit different based on the course. Um, so how we did is we started off from the start to mile 70. We had, you know, uh, one of our riders do that section. And then I did from 70 all the way to Valley T, which ended up being like 185 miles. Mm-hmm. That stint was a little bit too much, I think, for for comfort and, and also for speed. So by the time I got past the La Ventana section, I then enter, you know, the whooped out stuff that that aligns highway three all the way to valley t and and in that section i was just spent so if we could have had another rider right there that would have been good but i think for looking toward the 1000 it's just going to be breaking it up as evenly as we can um but kind of going back to your original question i think yeah like i feel like 100 miles 100 and you know at the most probably 150 miles um especially for like the 500 is is as much as i'd want to go yeah that's a good uh, stint to be, to be fast too, you know, um, I think it just comes to a point where, you know, you're just, for me, I was just through those whoops. I was just kind of like hanging on. I'd, I'd done the summit and I'd done the La Ventana section. I was just spent by that point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in that, and it's a constant, I mean, I, I dislike whoops. I will literally be the, I think, I think my realization of how crazy it was racing motos in Baja was one year, did you guys, you guys, I don't think you guys went down Zoo Road, right? I think you did the summit. No, we did not. No. Yeah. I rode a section of Zoo Road and I knew it was only about a six mile from one axis road to the other. And I was like, oh, mm-hmm. I'll just, you know, I'll just do it. And I started going through these whoops and I'm going, these things are huge. I mean, I know they're big, but I'm like, damn, on a motorcycle, it just seems like they might as well be, you know, twice as big. Yeah. And I'm like, there's no way that the Honda guys and all these fast guys take this road up. Like they have to have yes. a line. So at one point I remember stopping and I went to the left about a hundred meters and then I went to the right a hundred meters and I found zero tracks. Yeah. And I'm like, these guys literally just went up that and I, it's beyond me. So, I mean, whoops are absolutely insane. I mean, it's a very, and then especially the Baja whoops with the timing, sometimes the timing changes on them mm-hmm. and, and, or the rocks or, I mean, there's all sorts of stuff. And I know the section you're talking about is the one that parallels the highway that goes back to San Matias. Yes. Yeah. Through that wash. Yeah. And, I mean, it's a lot of fun and it's, it looks cool and there's a few like up and down sections there and it, you know, it's a little technical too. It's not just flat whoops, but man, yeah, I can yeah. imagine <laughs> after I've dealt with all of the, uh, the, the, the trials <laughs> section of the course. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. And, and also it was like, uh, right by, by that, you know, race mile 170 La Ventana area it was 97 degrees. So Ooh. it was just toasty. Um, but I, I think that, you know, if we could turn back time, uh, and have another rider, someone starting at that whoop section, you know, just be strategic about it and try to be as fast as you can. Um, but somebody, if, if I could have started fresh on the whoops, I think it would have been great, but, yeah. um, yeah. Yeah. That is a, that is an interesting section there. Cause yeah, if you, if you would have, if you start somebody in that section, once you get up to the top of San Matias, it, you know, you get back into the more Baja type racing, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> so it yeah. makes it, makes it a little bit easier. So did you get a chance to pre-run the whole course or did you just do your section? 
I just did my section. And so how we did pre-running is, you know, our three riders, we kind of broke off into individual chase teams and each guy, each, each guy, each day ran their sections or pieces of their sections, um, just to kind of utilize time best. Um, and so that each person could get through their section and and understand what they were going to experience on race day, Mm -hmm. which is kind of, well, yeah. And how far advanced did you guys do it? The, like the week of, or, or. Yeah. So the race was on Saturday, June 4th, and we got down there the Monday prior to the race. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. And so, you know, our, our goal was to, to pre-run that Monday and Tuesday prior to the race. Wednesday was like a consolation day. If there was at any point, you know, guys were feeling uncomfortable about something they could do Wednesday as well. But really like after that was like, get the bikes ready bike. Uh, we had a spare bike down there as well, but, um, get the bike ready and then, um, just kind of rest up, hydrate, make sure you're ready for Saturday. Yeah. Get, get ready for the, uh, the chaos, the controlled, I mean, within a certain instance, controlled chaos. Yeah. Yep. Nice. And, but fun, fun chaos. Yeah, exactly. Uh, man, so who, who, I mean, to me, the, the ultimate section down there is running the coast. Um, yeah. That, I think, uh, I don't know. I, I suggest if you can, if you guys, how do you guys pick your section? That's a, uh, <laughs> who decides who's going to get what? Cause I'd be the first one to avoid San Felipe. I'd be like, nope, I'll. <laughs> yeah. So, so I decide, um, I, you know, not to toot my own horn here, but I would, I would say I'm the best rider on the team. And then, so with that as well, I wanted to make sure that I'm setting everyone else up for success. <laughs> so knowing that that whole summit and then La Ventana area, and even the, uh, you know, the whoops before San Matias wash and all that, um, you know, I wanted to do that to set the rest of my team up for success, kind of knowing some of their strengths and weaknesses. Um, so how we started it was Brent, uh, the owner of Softleet and kind of our, our, our main guy, he's our rider of record. Mm-hmm. He started the race, you know, at night we got there at, uh, I think he took off at 4am, but we were up at 2am. Um, so he, he really did from the start of the race to, to 70. And then, um, I did that section from 70 to 185 over to Valley T. And then he actually hopped back on the bike. Um, so he was with our chase crew that was chasing me. And then basically right, right past Valley T tacos. We did our, we did a wheel change. We did our, our, uh, rider changeover. And then he took all the way from, um, Valley T through, you know, the beach, the amazing part. And then all the way to, um, um, race mile 400 mm-hmm. and then from 400 to finish our last rider road. And so our last rider, he's a, a Marine veteran. He's an amputee, uh, on his right leg from the below the knee. Mm-hmm. And so we also wanted to set him up for success as well. So part of pre-running was also determining for those guys, my section was locked on. I knew I was doing it, but, um, determining for those guys, like what would fit them best. And especially with our, our buddy, who's you know missing a leg yeah. uh, we want to set him up for success as well yeah well and that that's and then i mean it, it's a huge uh important thing and it's cool that you know like you you kind of have that that control over it you know you you accurately assess each rider as far as their ability goes and what they've done and and kind of cater the section like you know this would be a better section for you i mean safety wise first and foremost yeah. Um, Absolutely. And then and then competitive wise, you know, if this is your jam, like you enjoy this part of it, this is where you're most effective. Then, yeah, that's we want the most effective person on the on that part of the course. 
Yep. So that, you know, that that's <laughs> that, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, because I, I, I always look at that, like who gets what? I mean, I I've talked about it when I talk about adventure bikes, you know, guys riding these big ass bikes around Baja and in a lot of these sections, they do them on adventure bikes and like riding within your ability knowing that you're out there by yourself there is no chase crew there is no helicopter there is no like and and they'll ride a whole baja 500 course or or long sections of it you know i've done the valley t crossover on an adventure bike i've done all the coasts all the way back up to ensenada and it could be a handful but you have like it's like there's race pace there's pre-running pace there's adventure bike pace and then there's you know just going out for a tour and i think you know wisely people should choose that so it's cool to hear you know yeah you know it's catered to what you do you know your ability what you're able to do so you pick a section accordingly and assign yeah so that's pretty awesome uh so i mean one of my kind of last questions is so this was your first uh your guys's first score race Mm -hmm. so tell me like i did it for years uh on the car side of it What's it like now, though? I mean, are there like was there things that were maybe clunky that were a little bit confusing? I mean, if if somebody brand new is listening to this episode that's thinking about doing this, what was your experience registration and all of this stuff? I mean, was it? Yeah. And so, you know, part of the reason why, you know, I, I was interested in doing this podcast too is to help the guy who hasn't been down there before because you know me going down there my first time um there are a lot of a lot of people that will that will automatically kind of shut you off if you ask and you know they almost make it like a gatekeeper thing like you know they'll discourage you from going down there for whatever reason um but there's also a ton of people down there who are extremely helpful so even starting from the beginning of the process you know calling score on the phone and, and asking questions. Every single question I asked, they either knew the answer right away or they pointed me right into the direction of someone who did know the answer. Mm-hmm. So that was extremely helpful. Okay. Um, so yeah, so to the guy who who's thinking about going down, uh, hasn't been down there before, know that score themselves are going to be really helpful to you. So whether you're calling the number in the United States or calling someone down who's down there in Ensenada, everybody was extremely helpful. Um, and then kind of getting down, getting even through the border, you know, talking with score, they kind of give you instructions on, Hey, you know, this is what you should do. And this is what you shouldn't do, what you should bring, what you shouldn't bring crossing the border. And then, so just inquiring, uh, from those guys and then, and looking at all the lists and everything that they put out, um, all of the updates to, to get across the border and then getting down there through tech registration, everything else. It was all very professional, very well done. Um, we didn't have, we didn't have a single issue. Any questions that we had, you know, were answered and it was, it was a really seamless process. It was, it was pretty good. Nice. Good. And I mean, that, and that's always like, I think that there, there's a lot of unknown down there. And Absolutely. the terrain, the people, the, the, the ranches, the, where you're at in the middle of nowhere. I mean, all, there's a bunch of unknown. And I think that it is actually kind of one of the safest times to go down there. I mean, I, my bike's ready to go. I mean, I could literally just pack a day pack and then go ride down yeah. there. And I'm not, you know, not worried about it because it's like, just like I wouldn't be in downtown LA after dark in certain parts of that city. I wouldn't do the same in Baja. So I don't know, like, I don't see the necessarily the difference, 
you know, because I know a lot of people say, well, like, no, it's so dangerous and it's the Wild West. And I go, yeah, uh, there's a lot of places that are the Wild West and you don't even have to cross an international border to do that. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it, it's, you know, I think that, yeah, for the racing, it's, it's one of the safest times to be down there because, you, you, you know, it's safety in numbers. you got a bunch of people running through there and doing all of that. So it's good to hear, you know, yeah, it, it's a smooth process. Um, I, I did see some updates about that, like, you know, Hey, but like a border crossing caravan and, and they've gotten very like, um, very proactive about that. And I think the tourism board is really seeing that too. Like they're understanding that, Hey, this is, you know, has, and will be for a very long time, uh, a source of tourism and it helps all the little communities. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We, I mean, there wasn't anything that, that really caused us huge problems or anything. I mean, one of the biggest issues or not issues, but one of the things I was worried about was crossing the border with the bikes. And, you know, I've heard, Oh, you got to have all of the paperwork ready, which you do. It's, you know, you have all your ducks in the row, but that process, you know, the guys searching our stuff, they were stoked to see the dirt bikes and they wanted stickers and like, you know, it was just, it was a a really awesome process. Oh yeah. Stickers is currency down there. (laughs) It is. Yeah. You got to have stickers. And so, you know, what that does for me is that it makes me want to go down there again and again and again. And I think, um, you know, I'm in North Carolina now, but I'm going to take a trip out there before Vegas to Reno out, out to California nice. to do a little bit of setup with our bike. But, you know, I was talking with some guys and I want to kind of make a trip, a day trip riding down there or something like that, just because, you know, the people are so amazing. The riding is so amazing. Like, you know, especially in, in the race, you get everything. It'd be like if you started off in, you know, sunny oceanside california and you go and you ride through the desert of 29 palms and you come back around i mean you get to see so much uh you know different landscape and everything and get to experience so many different types of riding just in one race i mean it's you know you go down there once you're going to be addicted and you're going to want to keep going down there (laughs) like you're going to want to make a way yeah no and i and and especially because it's not uh well, I don't know how it is in North Carolina, but I mean, here, like, say, for instance, I'm, I'm based out of San Diego. You you really can't go on a ride in the backcountry without hitting locked gates, you know, land yeah. and, and being able to go out and do these kind of rides. I mean, you, you a lot of times you could do it on an adventure bike, but you're not going to find all these like just miles and miles of open desert roads. And, and that's that's worth riding. I mean, I'm not saying that Plaster City isn't cool, but that only works for so long before you're like, OK, well, I'm over this, you know, so. Yeah. Yeah, the endless amount of terrain that you can ride in Baja literally in one day. I mean, from Pine Forest to Ocean. Yep. You know, it's literally feasible. So, man, that's awesome. Well, I I'm I'm hoping you make it down to the coast cuz that's definitely uh the like I that's my favorite ride of all time. Is just go down and, yeah. and <laughs> just start I will ride the blacktop all the way down to San Vicente and then just come up the dirt road, you know. Nice. And so there's I mean, I mean you can I'm sure you could do it. Who uh was there anybody in particular that you that you work with uh logistically wise or maybe that was outside of score that really helped you or helped your team yeah so um there's a a rider who rode on a pro 30 team his name's uh, nick lake he's done a lot of uh racing with another veteran team down there called warrior built Mm -hmm. so i think for the past five years he's done nearly every race down there so he was extremely helpful i even did some of my pre-running with him because we were running the same section so we kind of teamed up and then, um, Skylar, uh, Piera, he's with, uh, he's just a mechanic with McMillan racing, a mm-hmm. uh, big old trophy truck, yep. uh, team down there. And he's a Marine vet as well. And he, I mean, 
he's been down there so many times, you know, every race for the, you know, years and years. And his dad even too is, uh, one of the co-drivers oh, okay. for the team. So, I mean, those guys were extremely helpful and then, you know, just score, you know, uh, so guys that are on teams, riders and stuff, and then just any, literally any question I had for score was answered or I was directed, you know, where I needed to go. Nice. And, uh, and actually that, that brings up another question. And, and because you mentioned the, the trophy truck, uh, the relationship between on race day between motorcycles and vehicles, uh, I, you rode kind of that middle, you rode that middle section. So a bit early in the day, but, um, did you guys have any exchanges with vehicles on the course, uh, being passed by the lead trucks or anything like that? Yeah. So our last rider, right. As he was really getting into town, he was passed by Bryce Menzies, mm-hmm. um, you know, winner of, of the trophy truck, uh, and that was the only time we got past, um, as far as interaction goes with the teams, not a ton of interaction, you know, uh, on, on, uh, pre-running, I needed some gorilla tape. So I reached out to, uh, you know, a trophy truck team and I got it, you know, so, um, but not a ton of interaction between, cause we start so early and they start so late and we're just trying not to get past, you know, okay. that was, that was one of my things. I was like, I just don't want to get past. And so thankfully <laughs> Our, our last guy, it stinks for him. He got passed at the last minute, but yeah. I think that summit slowed a lot of the trophy trucks down. Mm-hmm. And so it, it gave a way for the bikes to be able to kind of make it through before getting passed. Before getting, yeah. And I, and you know, it's interesting. They only recently, I feel like started doing that where they have like the bike line, you know, to get mm-hmm. around some of these, you know, sections and, and get increase that distance. I was just curious, you know, like, um, you know, I don't know if you're the last rider talked about it, you know, uh, the courtesy, you know, was he patient? Did he wait? I mean, it's the lead truck. If anybody's got, a, a if anybody's yeah. got, got zero time to waste, it's the lead truck. And I, I'm just curious, you know, if, uh, if they felt like it was maybe kind of sketchy other than, I mean, a thousand horsepower all wheel drive truck. Yeah. Yeah. So I think depending on the section you're in, when you do get past, it can be very sketchy. Um, but, but that's just, I think it's one thing that also should be stated, um, when you're going down there and even thinking about racing is, you know, if they're coming, get out of the way. So for him, his Stella was beeping like crazy. The the tracking system was beeping like crazy. He sees the helicopter. And so he's just like, okay, I'm going to get out of the way. I don't even want to be a part of this. And then, you know, they go by and then he goes on his merry way again, too. I think, you know, a good rule of thumb, too, is to as one passes you, there's probably going to be, especially if the racing's tight, there's going to be a lot of them right there, you know, because there's a ton of money in those. And they, you know, it's it's all on the line for them. So um, he kind of waited a little bit, listened. Okay, there's no more coming. I'm going to go. But thankfully, the Stella, uh, you know, beefs at you and and let you know somebody's coming. And then a lot of time for those lead trophy trucks, there's going to be a helicopter there, too. And and the helicopters almost provide that courtesy of letting the bikes know going out in front and saying, hey, something's coming. (laughs) Yep. I've uh, I've experienced that in a car before in uh, in Prim, Nevada and having Chuck Hovey catch me. I was in a 10 car and he was he was doing the lap on us. And yeah, you know, you, for a minute you think, Hey, wow, I'm going to be on TV. The helicopter's here for me. And then you quickly realize, (laughs) nah, I got a feeling there's something I'm, 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 I'm the bait. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, um, so that's cool. So you, you get some more because I I feel like that is another, uh, in, in talking 
previously and talking to some of the other teams, that has been kind of a point of contention. It's like, well, you know, the trophy trucks and all this. And you can't really account for every driver out there. Yeah. But it seems like there's more positive experiences than there are negative experiences. Yeah. And I know talking with, um, you know, my buddy who works for McMillan, those, the trophy truck drivers, a lot of them, they have just the utmost respect for us because they see how hard the course is. And they're like, man, these guys on bikes are out there doing it. And they, they care about us, you know, cause it's, it's dangerous out there for everybody. So it kind of goes back to that whole family thing. Um, but at the same time too, we, we also have to care about them and know that, Hey, they're racing for, you know, all of their marbles, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, they're racing and let's get out of the way for them too. So I think there's like that mutual respect that, you know, I'm not going to run you over, but I am going to have my helicopter go way ahead and say, Hey, get out of the way, please. Yeah. Well, and, and that's, you know, it's, that's interesting. It's a very valid point. Everybody looking out for everybody, you know, and, and I would think that the guys that are going to get, um, you know, you're being competitive in the class and you never know competitive in the class could be the, you know, everybody had mechanical issues in your class and you guys are all kind of back markers on the, in the moto group, quote unquote, right. Back markers, but the ones that are likely to get caught before the end of the race. And if everybody's cognizant of that, like, Hey, you know, I know that these guys are going to be coming up. My race is, is just right here. They're going to have to deal with the same dust. There's no reason for me to try and push and jackrabbit on a trophy truck. Cause it's just not going to happen. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It just, yeah, it really comes down to just, you know, courtesy and, and etiquette almost, you know, just, Knowing that this thing will mow you over in a second, though the driver doesn't want to do that, it's 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 a possibility, and and giving them the respect to it, it really just comes down to respect. Yeah, yeah, and and I feel that at this point they make enough noise and they have enough presence that there's almost that that like the hair on your back of your neck yes. kind of like when you, when you think you saw a ghost, but not really. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I feel like that could happen, but yeah, awesome. All right, right. So what do we? Sponsor wise, anybody that, uh, you know, softly was, was one that would, that was the main sponsor. Do you guys have anybody else helping the team out? Anybody you'd like to give a shout out to? Yeah, we do. So, um, we've got softly, um, you know, our, our main sponsor, we've also got a, an all veteran owned camo company called Cryptech. Mm-hmm. Um, they've given us a ton of support this year on a lot of levels. We've got Oakley standard issue, which, you know, a lot of military guys throughout their career have worn the Oakley standard issue, um, glasses. We have them on board, thankfully for some goggles, but Oakley standard issue is on board. Maxis tires. Maxis has been huge for us. Um, you know, just with more, support we can ever ask for and then also an extremely durable tire mm-hmm. um and then yamaha as well so we you know we've gotten some support from yamaha and so you know just connections of connections they've helped us out a ton as well just getting these yamahas out to baja and showcasing what these bikes can really do and dial in i you know the cool part hearing is is that you know it's the motor is basically it's a sealed motor nothing mm-hmm. you know nothing you know, it didn't get sent to pro circuit. It didn't get the blueprinting. It didn't get anything. It was just literally the Yamaha motor as it comes from the factory. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're solid. Yeah. Tank. Very nice. Very nice. Well, cool. Well, I'll, I'll put, um, we'll chat offline and I'll get links going and all that stuff to obviously, I mean, they supported you so we can support them and, and, and get their word out too. And, um, you know, I mean, I, I love, I, I'm an, I, I work on bikes more than I ride them. I'll admit it now. Yeah. I think I've come to that realization. I enjoy building the bike more than I enjoy riding it. Uh, just, you yeah. know, the perfectionist side of it. So yeah, any of this stuff, like, um, 
is the bike here in uh where's the bike located the race bike. yeah so we've got um we've got a bike it's it's actually in arizona right now um but we've got uh you know keep it out west so that we can fly out there and and then also when we because a lot of our team too is based out of uh california and arizona so okay. they can then you know work on it while we're over here and kind of prep it yeah so well, cool. Well, maybe I'll uh, catch you guys at the uh, the 24 hours of Glen Helen and, and check out the bikes. Oh, yeah. I, I love, you know, nerding out on the bikes and how they get set up. And that's the cool part, right? It, it uh, I mean, it sounds like the bike came off the factory or the showroom floor. It got a desert tank. It got some gearing changes, The probably the traditional skid plate and then some suspension work, which is what everybody should do. Yeah. So that. Yeah, abs- absolutely. So the, the tally. See that. That would be hard for me because I love putting every last thing like, oh, look, blue, shiny thing. Let's put the blue, shiny thing on here because it'll make it faster. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and so, you know, with with the help of, of Trevor Hunter, he kind of, you know, let us know that, you know, because he put that the, those bikes through the ringer and it, it, it just let us know that, hey, this thing right out the box isn't going to take a whole lot to be able to go through a whole lot. So, nice. um, yeah, I mean, and even so we've we, at this point, we've fully broken the bike down. And it's very, very little things that even need to be replaced on it. Nice. Um, and so it's it's fully broken down and ready to go again for Vegas Torino with very, very little. That's awesome. Uh, and, and that is, you know, like I I had talked to. There was another friend that I was talking to. He did he does suspension, um, and it's a very like a very very close knit tight group of people. Like a lot of people in the group never would never know. He, he does suspension and at a very, very high level. And I was talking to him about that. I'm like, okay, what's the bike out of the, like right off the show. What has the best suspension? Like literally just drop springs in it and then, you know, hit some clickers, maybe a valving change and then done. You don't need to like upgrade the forks with this and, and do this rear shock and do all of this stuff. And interesting enough that he said, none of them. But I, I feel like that's like from what you're saying and based on what you're saying, I feel like that is kind of starting to change. I think that the the Austrian brands have been on top for so long that now all the other brands are, you know, having to, I mean, Honda's obviously got the new bike. Yamaha's got the new bike. Uh, I'm sure Cowie just released their new bike. Um, so I got a feeling that the bar has been raised and I think it's going to change. Oh yeah. I mean, so even, even with the Yamaha, so what we did right out of the box before we did anything else with suspension was we changed springs and we just, you know, what does just changing springs do now? Not for Baja, but like even some of the, the SoCal SRA GPs and stuff like that. Um, and I think with those bikes, you set the springs up for yourself and everything else kind of just, it works. It does, it does really well right out of the box. So, you know, with a, with a KTM, for example, maybe you're throwing in, uh, you know, a spring conversion kit or something like that. But with these bikes right out of the box, like, you know, set it up for your weight and everything, do the sag and then, and then go from there because they come very capable, yeah. uh, you know, right out of the box. Nice. Well, I don't know, man. Uh, I don't need another bike. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, See, yeah. That's the problem with the podcast is you talk to so many people with so many different bikes and you're going like, Ooh, what about one of those? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the addiction, right? I know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's the, I was talking to a friend last night about that. And, 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 you know, I told him it's like, I pushed the, we were going out to dinner and I was like, I'm going to need about another half hour before I meet up with you guys. Cause I have to finish this bike. It's like, you just get sucked yeah. into tinkering and you just don't want to let it go. You know, you, you want to get oh, yeah. it perfect. You know? So. Yeah. Awesome. 
Well, excellent, sir. I really appreciate you being on the on the uh, on the show. Uh, you're going to be the first in the series, so you beat everybody yeah. to it. <laughs> Thank you for the opportunity. It's been, it's been fun. Yeah, of course. And then again, uh, we'll we'll chat offline uh, so I can get those links and make sure we tag the right people. Uh, you know, get them into the spotlight for what they've done to help you get uh, you and the team get to where you guys are at. So absolutely we'll get that going. Awesome. All right, Seth. Well, perfect. Thank you very much. I appreciate you being on the show, and we will talk soon. Yeah, thank you. Awesome, Bye-bye. thanks. All right, so there you have it. That was Seth Barnes, and we were talking racing down in Baja, just finishing up the Baja 500. So that was the story, guys. This is, you know, it's awesome to hear. It's like the perfect first person for uh, this series because it's somebody that's never been down to Baja, somebody that's, you know, just barely getting uh, their feet wet as far as racing down there goes. And and then now the plans to go to the thousand. Absolutely awesome to hear and the experience. And that's the kind of stuff that I, I'm going to want to try and bring with this uh, with this series of Back to Baja. Uh, it's just one of those things that a lot of racing can be done down there. There are a lot of rallies. I'm not absolutely not leaving the rally thing. You heard Seth that there is a plan to get into the Sonora rally uh, and race that. They may not even be aware that Baja rally is there as well. Uh, so it definitely it it opens up the door uh, to more motorsport down there, more people going down there uh, and enjoying the time. And uh, like I said, I mean, we'll we'll hear. I have my opinions, but I'm going to let you guys listen to the episodes and form your own opinions about racing down there, going down there as as, as a tourist, uh, doing moto rides. There's a lot of tour companies down there. They'll show you the ropes. They'll show you where to go. They'll give you some tracks. They'll follow you. They'll go with you. Uh, chase you there's a ton of stuff out there and so it's just a matter of like okay what are the resources and what else so i've i've been fortunate enough to be able to help a lot of the rally events you know and in growth and getting people and answering questions and getting more people into the sport i'm loving that idea and i love to try and do that uh with the baja series as well so i hope you guys enjoyed today's episode again this is episode 128 i'm i'm starting to lose track it's it's the age thing but Anyway, I hope you guys enjoy. Remember, it will make sense when you get there. Enjoy the ride. All right, that is a wrap for the Chasing Waypoints podcast this week. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. Don't forget to like and subscribe if you like what you heard. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and a bunch of others. Also, follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook under Chasing Waypoints, Instagram, Chasing Waypoints underscore official, and of course, the YouTube under Chasing Waypoints. Hope everybody has a good week. We will see you guys for the next episode. Remember, shiny side up, and don't forget to tag us. We want to see where you guys are riding and what you guys are up to. Have a great week.